Have you ever been lost? Yeah? Have you ever been like real lost? Like where you were afraid? Not like lost like you turned onto the wrong street trying to go to your friend's house or turned into King Super's parking lot instead of Safeway parking lot or like lost your car downtown and then walked away and couldn't find it. Like, have you ever been like real lost? Like where you were afraid to the core that you wouldn't find your way out. Uh, a couple years ago, a buddy of mine and I, uh, I think it was January or February, we decided to go on a hike in the foothills, real close by. Um, and it was a beautiful day, but we had had some snow uh, in the recent weeks leading up into that time. And the hike was about eight miles long, and just a couple miles into it, two or three miles into it, we turned a corner, and what was kind of a, a snow-packed trail turned into a snow-covered trail very quickly on the north side of one of the faces of the foothills. And so, you know, we kind of looked beyond a little bit, and we thought, hey, you know, I can see some tracks up there. We're going to just pick up the, the path a little bit further on. And so we decided in our jeans and in our tennis shoes um, and light jackets to just go ahead and trek on. And so we continued to hike for a little while and probably another half mile, almost maybe a mile uh, down the path, we realized that we weren't following a trail anymore for people. We were following a trail for animals. And we had actually completely veered off of anything that looked like a trail or a path walking through um, this snow that at some points came all the way up to our waist because of the drifts. And again, we were in jeans and tennis shoes. And so my friend and I, we turned around to look back to see, well, maybe we can backtrack and figure out where we came from. But we realized that there were game trails all over the place. And so we really didn't have a clue exactly where we had come from. And we were in the middle of you know, what's not very far away from here, but in the middle of a wilderness, in the middle of the snow, in the middle of this place with the sun starting to get ready to go down early in the evening, starting to get cool and cold, thinking, oh my goodness, I have no idea how to get back. I mean, we were lost. And that kind of feeling of lost is not a good feeling. There's panic that sets in. There's fear. There's anxiety. And then all of a sudden, a thought comes to my head. And it's like, well, I know how to get out of here. And I pull out my cell phone. Well, the beauty of the foothills of Colorado is the fact that you have cell phone service just about everywhere you go. The beauty about modern technology these days is that no matter where you are, you're never really lost, right? Because even in the middle of the forest, even in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the snow, in the middle of what really seemed like nowhere, I was able to actually pull out my phone, pull up a satellite image that was taken in the summertime of where we were standing, and realize where we had gotten off the path and how to get back. Now, that's a pretty amazing feat right now in the world that we have this ability to pull out technology and to get us unstuck or unlost in so many places and spaces in time. But that's not always the way that it is in real life, right? When we get stuck in real life, I'm not talking about physically stuck. When we get stuck, when we get in the wilderness of life, it's not always as easy as just pulling out your GPS and saying, how do I get out of here, right? There's a whole lot more to it. And we are in the um, middle of 
between two series. We just finished our Christmas series. We're gonna start a new series called To Die For, which I would really encourage all of you guys to come and to join in at the beginning of next week. But we are on the last day of this year. And so we wanna take a moment across all of our campuses to talk a little bit about looking forward, looking back, and what does that look like? Because here's the reality. I, I realize that many of you, as you take maybe and have already done so, or will maybe do today, if you've taken time in your lives to look back over 2017, some of you guys had a great year. And there's things to rejoice about. But then I also realize that there's some of you, as you look back over 2017, you realize like, man, I can't wait for this year to be over because I've been walking through the wilderness. I realize also um, many of you in this room, you're looking forward to 2018, which is awesome. It's a great thing to do, setting New Year's resolutions, and um, you're excited about the year to come. And some of you, as you look into 2018, you realize that there are things that are not so uh, excitingly coming your way. Maybe even the thought that there is a wilderness somewhere down that road. But here's the reality. We oftentimes talk, especially from the pulpit in this weekend of the year, the last weekend of the year, we talk about setting resolutions. We talk about looking forward to a new year. And all of those things are, are good and they're right. But I wanna ask you the question, what happens if you find yourself in a wilderness? What happens if you end up in a place or maybe you're coming out of a place that hasn't been so easy and hasn't been so fun and hasn't been so great? Because we find ourselves in those places all the time. And I think it's great for us to look forward to things, but it's also important for us to prepare in our hearts and in our own lives when those trials of life come. Because here's what I know about my life, and I would assume that it's probably very similar to yours. As I look back in 2017, there are highs and there are lows. And as I look into 2018, I realize there are gonna be highs and there are gonna be lows. And there are gonna be times that I get to rejoice and there are gonna be times that you have to fight through the period of time, not to just survive, but to come out on top. And so I wanna talk about what does it look like uh, to brave a wilderness? What does it look like to walk through a wilderness? And here's what Pastor John has said before. In your life, you are either currently in a wilderness, in a trial time, you've just come out of one, or you're gonna go into one, because that's life, right? That's not just a dark, bleak outlook on things. I don't wanna paint a, a nasty, bleak picture. But what I do want to do is I want to live in reality, recognizing all the people that I speak to this weekend and say, hey, what do you do when you find yourself in a wilderness? What do you do whenever you find yourself in a place that you're just not sure how to get out of there or you're not sure what it looks like to navigate through that? Um, the Israelites, the Israelites have been in a few wildernesses in their lives, huh? If you guys know much about them, they came out of a wilderness. God gave them the promised land, right? They wandered in a wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience, but eventually they landed in the promised land of God. But here's what's incredible about the Israelites. That is that um, they found themselves multiple places in time, in multiple spaces in the wilderness. And in fact, in the 8th century uh, BC, after many years of Israel prospering, um, in, in having incredible prosperity, well, physically, socially, economically, politically, um, they prospered in everything. God had blessed that nation. He had pulled them out of this place of despair. He had set up kings and kingdoms for them. He had provided the fruit of the land. And they were literally on the top of all things. And they got so comfortable in the 8th century BC that they kind of started to lose their way in what God had called them to. In fact, they were so far down the path of 
having walked out of the wilderness, many of these people hadn't even experienced walking out of the wilderness or even known about that much, that um, they got complacent where they were and they started to take things into their own hands. And every time we take something into our own hands and we take it out of God's hands, what we do is we remove the ability for God to really bless the good things in our lives. And the, the Israelites, they found themselves in this place. Uh, their king, King Jeroboam II, had just died, and Israel's northern kingdom began to crumble. It was in this place that decline suddenly set in, and Israel began to lose their way. Their behavior was no longer marked by righteousness, by honoring God, by giving him their first and their best, but it actually turned to a place of idol worship, a place of debauchery, a place where um, all of the good things that God had called them to do were kind of pushed to the side, and they operated out of the flesh and the things that um, really enticed in their flesh. And it's at this place in time as well that the Assyrians began to uh, see what was going on. The Assyrians were a neighboring community of people, and they saw, oh, these Israelites, they're kind of falling away from their way. And they began to encroach on the territory of the Israelites, eventually to actually conquer the kingdom of Israel. And so the Assyrians took over control of what was God's promised land, and Israel once again found themselves in a place that they were never meant to be. God never wanted them to be in this place. God never called them to be in this place, but they eventually found themselves without a home, worshiping false gods, recognizing that they were in the middle of a wilderness and all seemed lost. Now, they didn't try to get there. It wasn't their mindset and their thought that they're going to get there, but oftentimes we in our lives, we find ourselves in wilderness places. But there's something awesome about this point in time and in history that I think God showed his people, spoke to his people through a prophet by the name of Hosea, that I believe, even though this happened thousands of years ago, it is important for us to grasp this truth in our lives right now. Every single one of us, regardless of whether you're in a wilderness right now, regardless of whether you're going into a wilderness, maybe things are great for you, but I believe that there is truth in God's prophetic words through his prophets that we can hold on to in our lives. And especially as we look forward into a new year, things that we can grab hold of and prepare for an incredible year that God has for us. And so we're gonna talk about the gateway of hope today, the gateway of hope. And it's found in Hosea chapter two, verses 14 through 16. We're gonna read that together. And it says this, this is, again, it's God speaking through the prophet Hosea, speaking to the Israelite people who are now in the wilderness, who have lost their way, who have given up everything, who are conquered by the Assyrians. This is the people that God is speaking to. And he says, but then I will win her back once again, her being Israel. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to the, her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. I love the way and the, the picture that God paints through the prophet Isaiah. He uses the words, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. But then he goes, I will transform the valley of trouble, the place where the Israelites find themselves, into a gateway of hope. You ever been in the valley of trouble? You ever found yourself in a place where you just 
things aren't going your way. They don't feel good. They don't feel right. It feels like everything's pressing in upon you. Well, there's good news that if you find yourself in that place, or maybe one day you will, that God wants to provide hope for you. God wants to provide hope for you. And as we look again, as we look into a new year in 2018, I think one of the greatest things God calls us to have in our lives are not New Year's resolutions. But what, one of the greatest things that God calls us to have in our lives as we look into a year in every day of our lives is to have hope. Hope. Something that in the world that we live in today oftentimes is just a fleeting idea. I mean, people, some of the times that I have conversations with people, the hopelessness that comes out of people's mouths. You turn on the television, you watch the news, it is full of hopeless situations and things that are going on in our world today. But God says, I want you to be a people of hope. In fact, he says, I want to give you hope. I even want to turn this valley of trouble that you find yourselves in into a gateway of hope. But we have to first, in order to brave the wilderness, in order to get out of a wilderness time in our lives, we have to first choose the right kind of hope in our lives. We gotta first choose the right kind of hope. And I wanna ask you a question. Do you have the right kind of hope in your life? Because there are two kinds of hope that are actually pointed out in this passage of scripture in Hosea, and I think this is phenomenal. If you hear nothing else in this message, hear this. This is really awesome. Because you don't have to be in a wilderness to be holding on to the wrong kind of hope, to be holding on to false hope. You can be in a great time holding on to, to false hope. But there are two different kinds of hope that are um, inferred in this scripture, but one that I believe that God is drawing us to. And the word hope, when it says gateway of hope in this passage of scripture, the, the original Hebrew word is tikva, T-I-Q, T-I-Q-V-A-H, tikva. Now, the root of this word tikva is actually, it means a cord, a cord. But there are two meanings here. One type of cord and it's not the kind that this passage of scripture is talking about. One type of cord is a cord that holds something together, a cord that binds something together, okay? So that's the first kind of hope or the first kind of uh, uh, cord that is spoken about in this. And so there's, a, there's the possibility in your life, if you feel like things are falling apart, if you things are, feel like things aren't going your way, when things just aren't clicking, sometimes maybe you just feel like I need to have this kind of hope that just holds things together. You ever been there? Like, I'm just trying to survive, right? I'm just trying to hold things together. Now, that's a kind of hope for sure. But that's a hope that's really, it's found in, in circumstances that you can't control. It's found in oftentimes in your own self. When you hold things tight together, you tend to become very inward focused. You tend to put hope in yourself and how you can develop things and what can happen based upon your life and your desires and your decisions and your ways. And that's one kind of hope to have. It's one kind of hope to have, but that's not the kind of hope that God is calling us to have. In fact, the kind of hope that God is calling us to have is a kavah hope. And that kavah hope, what that means is it's not a cord used to bind something, but it's actually a cord used to attach one thing to something else stronger. A very different cord, a very different type of hope because God is calling us not to have a hope where we hold things together tightly, but God is calling us in our lives to have a hope that we can attach ourselves to something or someone stronger, that we can attach ourselves to our heavenly father in times of hopelessness, in times of distress, in times of difficulty, but also in times of good and plenty. God calls us to attach ourselves to him because he 
is the one that can lead us into blessings and promises and life. So I wanna ask you, where's your hope? Who do you put your hope in? You put it in a politician, in a job, put it in yourself, your spouse. Is it a hope that's just trying to hold things together? Or is it a hope that attaches itself to God and says, you know what, God, I have faith that you are good. I know who you are, and I know that you can lead me not just out of the wilderness, but you can lead me to blessings and to life and to fullness. And that's what God wants for you, church. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I thought about my family. I have a lot of family who lives in the Houston area, and recently they just had a really horrible hurricane that came through. And there were two options that every single one of my family members had. Two types of hope that they could have leaned on. The first kind of hope was, hey, I'm gonna board my house up, I'm gonna bring everything inside, I'm gonna tie things tightly, I'm gonna buckle it all down, and I hope that I can brave this storm. I hope that I'm gonna survive. I hope that it's gonna go okay. Well, as we know, that kind of hope really when there are outside circumstances that you don't control, that kind of hope is a hope that really is just a wish. It's oftentimes an empty prayer. And I had family members who stayed and who were very, um, they were very sad that they'd made those decisions because there was another type of hope that was presented to them and some of my family members took up on this kind of hope and that kind of hope was when they attached themselves to something stronger, something greater, a vehicle, something that could get them out of this place of despair and destruction. And they had hope to not just survive, but hope to get out of this place, hope to be able to um, make it and thrive. In fact, my grandmother, um, she was in a uh, assisted living home. And uh, so in that place and in that home, she didn't really have a choice. I mean, uh, as we saw, probably most of you guys saw photos of, of one of the assisted living homes in the Houston area that didn't get evacuated. And you saw what, what happened in that situation. But the great thing about my grandmother, um, it was that she was able to attach her hope to somebody. She, could, she couldn't get out of that place by herself. She was able to attach her, um, her desire, her to get out of that place to another person that assisted her and said, you know what, I'm gonna take you by the hand. I'm gonna help you pack up your stuff. We're gonna get out of this place and it's gonna be okay. And guess what it was? And that's the kind of hope that God extends to you and says, hey, if you're willing to attach yourself to me, if you're willing to not hold on to this empty hope of the world or empty hope of yourself, then I will not just rescue you out of these places, but I will give you greater things for your life. And in James chapter one, verse 12, he understood this. This is a New Testament scripture, but it talks about the exact same kind of thing. And it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James is actually saying the exact same thing that Hosea was saying, because when it says God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, what that original context actually means is that God blesses those who cleave to him through difficult times of testing and temptation. Why and how? Because when we do that in our lives, and you will have difficulties, you will have trials, you will have testing and temptation, but when we attach ourselves to him, when we hold on to God, after that, we can receive a crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. I want the crown of life. You guys want the crown of life? I want great things in, in my new year to come, but I know that there are gonna be trials and I don't wanna just 
act like they're not going to happen or pretend that they don't exist. But what I want to do is I want to cleave to my heavenly father during those times and when they come and prepare right now for when that happens because only through the testing and the trials and the temptation can I actually receive the crown of life that God has promised me. Through doing those things successfully in church, I want to challenge you to have hope in our heavenly father. So you have to choose the right kind of hope. You also have to live in the right relationship. If you want to get out of the wilderness, if you want to brave the difficult times, if you want to walk through some of the hard times of life, then you have to live in the right relationship. In fact, one of the things that God said to his people when he spoke to them through the prophet Hosea, he said, you will call me my husband instead of my master. You will call me my husband instead of my master. Now there's a huge difference between husband and master, isn't there? When we live in a relationship as a slave to a master, a slave lives in a life of uncertainty. You live at the beck and call of somebody who has the ability to really control your life, even to the point of killing you. And while obviously I think God has ultimate authority and he has ultimate control, his desire is not to lord over you as if you were this uncertain slave not knowing how to honor and live up to the things that your master has for you. But what God's desire is, and all throughout scripture, he doesn't talk about himself as this heavy-handed Lord and master and us as slaves. He actually, the way he speaks about us is as if we were his bride. And a bride gets to walk in comfort of covenant with her husband. A bride has the opportunity to walk in this incredible rich relationship. In fact, if you're married, you probably find yourself in the same situation that I am. I did not marry my wife and my wife did not marry me so that she could, for me, do my laundry, cook for me every meal, raise children, mow the lawn, I don't know, go out and work, whatever it may be, I don't know what it might be, but I did not marry my wife as if I'm a master and she's the slave and I married her so I could get all of these things out of her and I could command that she would actually live up to these things. No, I married my wife because of this incredible richness of love that we had. I married my wife, maybe even more so for, rather than what I can get from her, but what I can give to her. How I can enjoy and appreciate her. How I can value her. And for sure, it's a two-way street. There's things that we get and give in relationship, but that's God's desire for his children. He doesn't wanna live with you as if you're a slave and he's the master. And it also doesn't need to, it shouldn't be the other way around because I think there's a lot of other people, there's a lot of people in this world who feel like that they wanna be the master and they want to treat God as the slave and say, God, you're gonna do this for me this way at this time, right? I'm gonna come and I'm gonna pray to you during the difficult times. And if you, if you come through, then everything's good. We're good, our relationship is good. But if, if I'm having a hard time and I come and I pray and you don't show up, then we're not good and things aren't good. But God's desire is to walk in this great covenant relationship with us. In James chapter 16 through 18, James recognizes this again. And he says, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good, And perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. 
When God looks at you, he sees you as a prized possession. He chose to give birth to you. He chose to give you life, and his desire is to bring blessings. But the only way that you're gonna experience those is that if you live in the right relationship with him. And I wanna encourage you as you enter into a new year, I don't know where, how your relationship with your heavenly father, your husband has been, but God desires to take you by the hand and to walk in a blessed covenant with you. Because it's in that blessed covenant that we have our Father that will rejoice with us in good times and walk with us through the difficult times. That is who our Father wants to be in our lives. And is he that to you? Now, we have an opportunity if we have the right kind of hope and we can see God in the right way, we have an opportunity to actually maximize the wilderness times in our lives. And this is actually something very amazing, actually. Because how we view hope and how we view God will determine if we have the ability to maximize the wilderness in our lives. Because there are two different ways to view wilderness. There are two different ways to experience wilderness in our lives. First way to experience wilderness is a place of punishment. You can see the wilderness as a place of punishment I'm here because I did something wrong and I did something bad. Well, while that may be true, here's what's amazing. In the book of Hosea, the Israelites put themselves back into the wilderness. They chose to go back into that wilderness by their behavior, and yet God still said to them, he still said to them, come with me. I'm gonna get you out of this place. I'm gonna take the valley of trouble that you found yourself in, that you actually put yourself in, you jumped into the valley of trouble. I'm gonna turn this valley of trouble into the gateway of hope. Now you gotta walk through the wilderness to get there. It said, I'm gonna lead her into the wilderness. God said to his people, you're not just gonna magically disappear from the wilderness and reappear in this wonderful place. You're gonna walk through the wilderness. You're gonna have this experience, but what I'm doing is I'm leading you to a gateway of hope. What God was saying to his people is, I do not want this wilderness to be a place of punishment, but I want this wilderness to be a place of preparation, of purification, and of process. Now, church, I want to ask you something. I actually want to tell you something. You get the choice to pick your pain. It's true. Punishment is painful. But something else I know, purification and process is also painful. Punishment leads to emptiness, leads to bitterness, leads to resentment. Oftentimes it leads to death because some, when people get trapped in the wilderness and they see it as this place of punishment, their bitter hearts, their empty hope leaves them in that place to die. And people die in the wilderness because of the way that they feel and the way that they look at that. But you can also look at it as, as a painful place of progress in our lives, a painful place of purification, a place of preparation. In order to get to the place that you need to be, oftentimes we have to just brave the painful wilderness and God's desire is to walk with us and not leave us in that place. If you're a full grown adult, you had to do that in your own life, in your own body physically, right? In order to get to the place of being full grown, it took pain, right? I have little kids that are growing up and some of my kids are right about that age where they complain about joints and they complain about things that, that aren't feeling so good. And it's crazy because the reality is, is what I tell my children is, listen, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that you're feeling that because you're growing. You have to go through the pain 
in order to get to the place that God is calling us to be his full promises in our lives. It doesn't matter how or why you end up in the wilderness. What matters is, is how you view your heavenly father during that time. And again, one more verse in James, James chapter one, verses two through four. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, when troubles of any time, any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When we face trials in our lives, when we face difficult times in this coming year, God calls us to consider it great joy that we get to walk through those now, that's a hard thing to do, right? But if we can do it appropriately and we can see the process that God wants to develop in our lives, then we can actually come out on the other side through the gateway of hope and experience the richness of God's promises. You see, God is not just a fulfiller of promises. God has promises. In fact, one of the things that we talk about as a church, JFC, is that we are a place to discover and to recover the promises of God for your life. What an awesome thing. But here's what's amazing, is God is not just a fulfiller of promises. He's not just a giver of promises. If we can look beyond just the tangible promises that God has given us here on this earth, then we can recognize that God actually is the promise. Amen. The promiser is the greatest promise that can be given to us. But it's so easy to get lost in the midst of seeking and searching after the promises, trying to end up in destinations only to find ourselves unattached from our ultimate promise, who is our heavenly father. Church, I wanna encourage you this year, while it's not wrong to go say, hey, I'm gonna lose some weight, or I'm gonna save some money, or I'm gonna get a better job, or I'm gonna be nicer to my family, or well, I don't know what it is, a better husband, better father, whatever it may be as a resolution, those things aren't bad, but God has something better for you than that. And I wanna encourage you to not just spend all of your time and all of your attention and all your energy just seeking after those things, but seek after him. Because it's only when we seek after him then we get the fullness of what God has for us in our lives. The trap is to run after things that are dead ends. Run after destinations as opposed to a person. As I was studying this message, talking about seasons and talking about difficulties, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, um, and it was actually brought to my attention via a song that Hillsong Worship wrote on a new Christmas album that they just came out with this year. And the song is called Seasons. And in the song, it talks about these giant sequoia trees. You guys ever seen a giant sequoia tree? I think we actually have some pictures of some here behind me. Giant sequoia trees are the largest trees in the world. They're not the tallest trees in the world. There are trees that are taller than giant sequoia trees, but they're the largest trees because they can grow up to 300 feet tall and they can be up to 35 feet in diameter. So by volume, they are the biggest trees in the world. And they're only found in a really small area of the mountains in California. 
And as I was looking into sequoia trees, there's something really cool about sequoia trees beyond even just their girth and how big these stinking things are. But it's how they're developed. The only way that a sequoia tree, and the oldest sequoia trees that we have currently in the United States are over 2,500 years old. They can live up to 3,000 years old, actually. But the only way that a sequoia tree can actually be birthed is if a pine cone falls off of one sequoia tree and then a forest fire happens. Because the forest fire, what it does is it actually clears the land out from underneath the sequoia tree, the giant sequoia tree. And it opens up the cone, allowing the seeds to drop out. And when those seeds drop out, they get to drop on fertile soil because of the fire that happened. But that's not enough. One of the reasons that we don't have so many sequoia trees is because there's a twofold process that has to happen. It has to drop a cone, and then it has to have a forest fire to drop the seeds to plant in the ground. But then it has to have a pretty harsh winter that very first winter. And the reason is, is that harsh winter creates a situation where that seed has to strain and has to stretch and has to reach its arms out, reach its roots out and start to grow deep. And it's only through the harshness of winter and it's only through the fire that it gets to walk through that a little sprout is budded that thousands of years later turn into a giant sequoia tree that we get to see today in the sequoia forest. It's only through the difficult situation, it's only through the pressing, it's only through the fire, it's only through the winter, it's only through the harshness of those seasons that a sequoia tree is actually birthed. And here's what's awesome, church. God has called you to stand tall like a sequoia. God has called you to grow strong. God has called us as his children to be the greatest of his things and creatures and creation that he's ever created. But in order for us to get to the place of walking in the fullness of his promise, we have to sometimes walk through the harshness of the seasons. We have to sometimes brave the fire. We have to sometimes experience the cold nights. But when we attach ourselves in hope to something stronger, just like that tree, it attaches itself to something stronger, to the soil of that ground. The only way a 35 foot wide, 300 foot tall tree can stand is if it has a phenomenal root structure that's attached to something greater than itself. In fact, the root structure of a sequoia tree, they said can take up to 90 acres of land in order to hold that tree up. And God is saying, hey, are you willing to start reaching out and latching on to me? Do you wanna put your hope in me? Because I have great promises for you. So I wanna share this song with you. If you guys would join in, I'd like to encourage you just to listen and pay attention to the words. Like the frost on a rose Winter comes for us all How nature acquaints us With 
the nature of patience like the seed in the snow I've been buried to grow for your promises loyal from sea to sequoia I know though the winter is long even richer the harvest it brings I believe that my season will come. Lord, I think of your love as the low winter sun. As I gaze, I am blinded in the light of your brightness like a fire to the snow i'm renewed in your warmth melt the ice of this wild soul till your bearing is beautiful i know though the winter is long even richer the harvest it brings for me like a seed I believe that my season will come Soil grew Calvary's 